a team of junior spacemen with an out-of-this-world breakfast. The Outline World Dispatch Tuesday, June 27th, 2017. I'm John Lago Marcino. Today on The Dispatch, Alex Nichols on Jim Messina. He's like the go-to guy to lose elections, basically. And Derek Gaillot on the Tupac biopic. All Eyes on Me is a flop in every way. And Rollin Bishop on an AI that makes up proverbs. It's like nothing I could make up on my own. Here's The Dispatch. Power. Jim Messina is a former Obama aide who's been a presence in Democratic politics since the early Bush years. A 2012 Bloomberg profile titled Obama's CEO compared his storytelling abilities to TED Talks and praised him for learning from the executives at Google, Facebook, and Zynga. But as Alex Nichols wrote on The Outline yesterday, Messina has become a case study in political failure. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good, how are you? Great. Um, So you wrote today about Jim Messina. Uh, Let's start back at the beginning. Who is he? Where did he come from? He's a Democratic consultant. He he helped with Max Baucus's Senate campaigns, who was a senator, a conservative Democratic senator from Montana, who was instrumental in the Affordable Care Act. And then he was hired in 2008 as national chief of staff under Obama. And they thought he did a good job. And he got rehired in 2012 as campaign manager. And then after that, basically, it's been a string of failures. And he's been losing elections for people all over the world. But he had a pretty good track record, right? Like during the Obama years, he did pretty well for himself. He did. He got a lot of positive press. They won both elections. 2008 was a record turnout still. So he got, um, that was a success, but looking further into it, the the more you read about it, the more you get the impression that he was not really the driving factor in that victory. What happened then after the Obama years? He was hired by the Conservative Party in the UK um, in 2015 to help David Cameron's re-election which was, uh, it, it was a victory for them, but it was a Pyrrhic victory because they had to promise to do the Brexit referendum, which turned out to be uh, a massive mistake, and he had to resign immediately. And that wasn't his last failure in Europe then? No, he was, um, he was hired by Matteo Renzi, the prime minister of Italy, who proposed a referendum um, to completely redo Italy's uh, congressional parliamentary procedure. And that ended up being another massive failure. And he had to resign as prime minister, too. So he's kind of leaving a wake of disaster in anything that he touches these days. Yeah, he's been, he's like the go-to guy to lose elections, basically. Uh, After the Italian elections, he was involved in Hillary Clinton's failed campaign as well. Yeah, he ran the main super PAC for Hillary Clinton, which did raise a lot of money to his credit. And he he ran a piece in the New York Times right before the election saying that uh, it it wouldn't be a Brexit-style shock, that Hillary's data was correct, and it it turned out that that was exactly what happened. And and you write that he was kind of a data guy, that there was this faith in data that, that caught up with him. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of guys in the Democratic machine that had a lot of faith in data, and that was their um, their claim to fame is that they were masters of data. They had all these advanced modeling techniques, and then it turned out to fail in almost every instance. 
So is there something broader to learn then? Well, I think the, the, um, the political machines, especially uh, in the center, the center left, center right, have a lot of people that have just tried to suck them dry of money. They've tried to gravitate to campaigns that look like they're going to win, and they just try to take as much money as possible. So what are Jim Messina's prospects going forward? Hopefully none. <laughs> if there's any justice, he, he's not going to have a career after this, after uh, five or six uh, disastrous campaigns. Why did he get the opportunity to get involved in so many campaigns after having failure after failure? He did have that track record of success with Obama that was a legendary campaign that really impressed a lot of people with grassroots grassroots turnout and the branding he had, but it turned out that he didn't actually have that much to do with it. He didn't have that much to do with the grassroots energy that elected Obama in 08. He had a lot to do with the corporate funding, the corporate side of things. That wasn't really, that wasn't the energy behind Obama in 08. So they were looking at the wrong people. Hmm. So in some ways you could say that justice w- did kind of play out in this one case. Yeah, it it he got his chance to uh, show his skills, and it turned out that he didn't really have any skills. Um, I think that's a really good place to leave it. Uh, Alex, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Culture. 78%. That's the amount by which ticket sales for the Tupac biopic fell in its second week in theaters. The man I knew wanted to use his voice to educate, to bring people together. Jade, if he coming at me, he gon' get dealt with. Despite its highly publicized production and release, the Tupac Shakur biopic, All Eyes on Me, saw a huge drop in ticket sales between its first and second weeks. Forbes reports that the film is now expected to make 50 to $55 million in the U.S. and Canada, coming in just slightly above its $40 million production cost. The drop in box office numbers is being attributed to the film's negative reviews and a handful of controversies. I'm reporting from the streets. I'm educating and keeping it real. Several people have spoken out against the film's portrayal of Tupac, including Jada Pinkett Smith, who counted him as a close friend. She responded to the film on Twitter, writing, quote, The reimagining of my relationship to Pac has been deeply hurtful. On June 23rd, Writer Kevin Powell filed a lawsuit against the film's creators, claiming that they used material from three Vibe magazine articles he wrote about Tupac in the 90s. But Powell, a founding member of Vibe, stated in his complaint that the articles in question contained, quote, fictional characters and reworked narratives. In a Facebook post, Powell wrote that he is, quote, seeking justice and a resolution in this matter that is fully fair to me and all the work I've done throughout the years as an author and protector of the Tupac Shakur narrative. The future. A good anvil does not make the most noise. An ox is never known till needed. A good wine makes the best sermon. Death, when it comes, will have no sheep. These are just some of the bespoke, quote-unquote, ancient proverbs created by an artificial neural network. Janelle Shane, a research scientist, fed 2,000 real proverbs into the neural net and let it produce its own from that data. Writer Rollin Bishop caught up with Shane by phone to find out how and why she did this. 
I had an interest in machine learning for a while. Uh, actually, as an undergraduate at Michigan State, I worked with a research group that did some uh, genetic algorithms machine learning. So that's the type of machine learning that imitates evolution. I was always interested in machine learning and sort of mimicking natural processes of uh, discovering things about the world. Now, there was 2,000 ancient proverbs, and obviously the stuff it spat out is, um, the examples <laughs> used sort of vary, but what stuck out, obviously, is the obsession with oxen, as you put it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm not sure if I were to train the neural network again on that same data set with, you know, a slightly different random speed or only very slightly different uh, training parameters, it's quite likely it would have seized on something else instead, like dogs or cats or something. So really there's no telling why it's obsessed with oxen. It's tough to tell. That's the thing about uh, neural networks and learning algorithms in general. They're, it's often, since they're training themselves, it's often tough to figure out what their internal workings are and how are they arriving at conclusions they're arriving at. It's not deriving meaning here necessarily. It's deriving stuff mm -hmm. like sentence construction. Would that be an accurate way to say that it's forming these proverbs? Yeah, let's say it's discovering patterns and it can, you know, the amounts of the kinds of patterns it's discovering would sometimes be ones that we aren't even aware of ourselves, but it can definitely discover patterns like, okay, the first letter of a sentence is capitalized. The end of a sentence has a period. Words are, on average, a few characters long, and they tend to have more E's in them than V's, for example, and so on and so forth. You know, the letter O is often followed by an ox, because oxen are important. I'm speculating here on the sort of internal rules that it has, uh, that it could devise, but I don't know if these are the rules of using. Right, because it forms its own as it goes. Yeah, exactly. And it could be, yeah, it could be so, something more complicated. Did you have any particular favorites? I'm pretty fond of uh, one that other people seem to have enjoyed as well. The death when it comes will have no sheep. And, and what does that mean to you or to other people, I guess? Uh, I, well, part of why I like it is that I, it doesn't, need anything in particular. It sounds profound and mysterious, and then it's got sheep at the end of it. That's just what comes out silly by the time you get to the last word of the phrase. You know, as, as we've been talking, you mentioned that you've done this before, and why? What What do you get out of it? <laughs> I find them uh, amusing. It's, uh, I, I love being able to try a new data set, see what comes out of it, you know, kind of wonder at what's going on under the hood, but I yeah, I really like the silliness. There's a certain brand of, you know, kind of invent of inventiveness that these neural network techs are, and it's kind of fresh and not something a human has generated. And to me, you know, it seems to have this kind of fun, almost otherworldly quality, like it's like it's like nothing I could make up on my own. So it is, yeah, it's continual pleasure to look at these new data sets, 
and uh, see what the neural network comes up with. That concludes The Dispatch. If you like the show, you should know that we do four episodes a week, Monday through Thursday. So uh, you could subscribe in Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get podcasts to get it delivered every morning. And if you want to get in touch with us, a good way to do that is either by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or tweeting at us, at Outline. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm John Lago Marcino. More stories tomorrow.